we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Continue to pray for these, if you would, please, every day. Yes. We start off last couple of weeks on our study in the book of Hebrews, and I'm excited about it. I hope you will. And if you'll turn over there, please, I'd like just to read a little bit of the first chapter, and then we'll get into the lesson. Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers manner spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they, for under which the angels said, He at any time thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they all shall wax old as doeth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. But the which of the angels saith he at any time sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministers of spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? What I want to start off with this morning, we been studying, we went through it last week. Uh, that this is a letter. The book of Hebrews is a letter that. I believe that Paul wrote uh, to the church there in the first church as they begin the first Christians. And to get the picture of what is happening here, you have to go back to temple worship and understand that these uh, Judean Christians had gotten saved by the grace of God, but they were confused in their minds about the temple worship where they should continue offering a sacrifice and so on, or come out from it. And Paul is writing this letter. Of course, it's written to everybody. It's the Word of God. But he's writing this letter to young Christians, letting them understand that to leave that behind. Now, if you go back to the temple worship, there was a lot uh, in the temples and things back those days about angels 
and statues to angels and there's worshiping angels and so on. And he starts off the book of Hebrews explaining to them that Jesus is greater than angels. He's a superior in his majesty as the Son of God. And the book of Hebrews has been called the orphan epistle because it lacks the signature of human author, but God, who delights to be a father to the fathers, has adopted this epistle now. And so, uh, counting the book of Revelation, there are 22 epistles in the New Testament, and we can express them in this formula. 9 plus 4 plus 9. There are nine letters addressed to Christian churches. Four letters addressed to individuals. Nine letters addressed to Jewish Christians. Now, comparing the two major groups of nine, you'll note that each group begins with a major theological trustee in which the Old Testament is interpreted in the light of of Christ of Calvary. Now, Romans introduced the first nine epistles. It discusses the relationship of the gospel to Israel's moral law. And great appeal is made to the Old Testament prophetic ministry. Hebrews introduces the last nine epistles. Hebrews discusses the relationship of the gospel to Israel's ritual law. Great appeal is made to the Old Testament priestly ministry. In other words, when you read the book of Hebrews, you have to notice that he's relating back to the priestly ministry in the temple. Now, each of these two groups of nine epistles ends with prophecy in which the second coming of Christ is discussed. The Thessalonians ends the first group and underlines the effect of Christ's second coming on the church and the world. Revelation ends the second group and underlines the effect of Christ's second coming on the Jew and the world. Now remember, at the time of the writing of the Hebrews, the temple was still standing on Mount Moriah and its shadow lies across the entire book of Hebrews. So you can reason out the Jews putting up a stubborn argument against any Christian teaching and seeking to keep their people from embracing Christianity and trying to stop efforts to wean away Jewish converts from their newfound faith in Christ. Now, after all, think about this. Was not the law given by angel meditation? How dare anyone question Moses and challenge his authority? Was not the Aramaic priesthood divinely ordained? Did not God himself inaugurate the elaborate system of offerings and sacrifices and ritual cleansing? Did not God himself command the building of the tabernacle and give David the blueprint of the temple? Were not Israel's feast days ordained by God? So here's the question. How dare anyone set aside the Passover and the Day of Atonement? Had not the prophets urged on the building of the second temple after the end of the Babylonian captivity? How could anyone delete all these things from the Bible and have anything left but an empty book? Now, how could God's Christ possibly be a man 
who had suffered crucifixion when God's curse rested on those who died on a tree. How could Jesus be a priest when he was not a Levite of the Aaronic uh, family? Had not the leaders of Israel almost unanimously rejected the claims of Jesus to be the Messiah? And you could go on and on with questions that these Jews had about the Lord Jesus Christ and the temple worship. Now, the book of Hebrews' chief purpose is to demonstrate that Christ and the New Testament truth and the Christian faith stand far above and beyond anything found in the Old Testament as are expressed in the Jewish religion. Now, the issue is presented in verse 1. God, who at sundry times in a diverse manner spake, in time passed unto the fathers by the prophets. No doubt about that. So he's making a statement that God spoke in time past to the prophets. Now the Hebrew faith was codified in the Mosaic law and was given through the instrumentality of angels. But the Lord Jesus Christ is superior to the angels, both in his majesty as a son of God and is in ministry as a son of man. Now this is a theme that Hebrews opens with. The expression of the Son of Christ by God, notice verse 2, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. Now, it starts off, the book of Hebrews starts off and he goes back and he's not denying that God spoke by the prophets in the Old Testament days. But now, he says in these last days, and the last days begin with the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the last days begin from there all the way till Jesus comes back. And he says in these last days God has spoken to us by His Son. So we don't go back to temple worship. Dan Crawford was a pioneer missionary to Africa. He was sitting one day on the doorway of his tent writing a letter. A little black boy stood by a long while staring in astonishment at the strange white man's ever stranger occupation. At last he could stand it no longer. What are you doing, white man, he asked. The missionary explained he was writing a letter. He was committing his thoughts to paper. The boy digested the information for a moment and then said, Oh, I know what you're doing. You're putting thoughts in prison. Oh no, explained the missionary with his ready wit. You're wrong, lad. I'm not putting thoughts into prison. I'm setting them free. Now, that's what the book of Hebrews does. It explains the mind of God in verse 1 and 2. That's exactly what God did when Jesus came. Throughout the Old Testament era, God communicated, communicated to men by using spokesmen like Jonah, Jeremiah, Daniel, David, Moses, and you go all the way back. But there remained much more to be said. Now how could God fully express His heart, His mind, His will? And God would send His Son in verse 1 and 2, and that's how He did it. He executes the will of God. Look at verse, uh, the last part of verse 2. And in verse 3, By whom also he made the world, who being in the brightness of his glory, 
and its best image of his person, and opened all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So that explains Jesus to us. The simply, he simply translated deity into humanity. As John puts it in John 1, verse 14, the Word was made flesh. Now, the Lord Jesus, as God's Son, has an inherited claim to all things. God has had all other, had other heirs. Abraham was one of them. Abraham entered into Canaan as heir to everything he saw. God told Abraham, everything you see belongs to you. You give it to him. Yet he went, he wandered his days as a homeless stranger in the land that was rightly his. He didn't possess it. Abraham was buried in a cave at last. The only piece of real estate in Canaan ever deeded over to him by man. Nevertheless, every stock and stone was his. Every bird, every beast, from the Nile to the Euphrates River was his. God gave it to him. Now, it was the same with Jesus also. Jesus lived in this world as a pilgrim and a stranger, heir to all things, yet not having received the promises. Even the tomb in which he was laid to rest was borrowed. Now, the will, his will has been publicly read. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. Jesus is appointed heir of all things. The world in its entirety then has been given to him. John 3.16 For God so loved the world. Now, as executor of the divine will then, Jesus is coming back to enforce his ever claim. And Christ's claim to all things is not only inherited, but he has an inherited claim to all things. Verse 2 He made the world. Now, Jesus has the right claim on the world then. Why? Because he made it. Amen? And therefore, as creator, they belong to him. Jesus made the world and laid claim to them all by inherited right. Verse 3, he is the brightness of his glory, that is, God's glory, and the express image of his person, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. Now underline these three words. His glory, his person, his power. When Isaiah was called to the prophetic ministry, he was given a vision of that glory. Isaiah saw a throne high and lifted up, and he sat there on was so glorious that the shining seraphim, the sinless sons of light, hid their faces and wings before him. They dared not gaze upon the brightness of his glory. Saul of Tarsus was one to Christ when that light above the brightness of the noonday sun, Acts 26, 13, burst upon him. He was blinded by the brightness of Christ's glory. Also, Christ is the express image of God's person. The phrase express image refers to something engraven or impressed as a coin or a seal that bears line by line all the features of the instrument making it. 
the idea is that of a diapress. So notice something now. The lines of deity have been reproduced in Jesus' humanity. Therefore, we want to find out what God is like. All we have to do is look at Jesus and find out what Jesus is like because Jesus is God in the flesh. Now that's what Paul is trying to get over to these new Christians that believe in Christ coming out of the temple worship. Jesus is God. Jesus is the express image of God. What that simply means is if you ever see God, you're going to have to see Jesus because Jesus is God. He is the press image, just like you would make a coin, and that coin would come out of the mold. The mold itself is not the one that you got, but it bears the image of that. That's what Jesus is. Jesus holds all things by the word of his power. Now, man's word are at best only legislative. Jesus' words are executive. He speaks and it's done. In creation, Jesus said, Light be, and light was. And you could go all the way through, uh, everything that Jesus said came to pass. The same executive power was shown by Jesus when he was on earth. In Matthew 8, verse 2 and 3, a leper said to Jesus, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. All Jesus said is, I will be thy clean. And the leper was made whole again. It was a word of his power. As a son of God, the Lord Jesus is the executor of God's will as far as the creator universe is concerned. Number three, he expresses the heart of God. Look at verse three again now. Who being in the brightness of the glory and express the image of his person, holding all things by the word of his power, when he hath by himself purged our sin, set down the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, Jesus gives express image to all that is in the heart of God. He not only is the creator, he's also the redeemer. He, the Bible says in verse 3, purged our sins, is a a single sentence. We're taken from creation all the way to Calvary. Now, mark the contrast here. His glory, his person, his power, and then our sins. All our righteousness is in His sight as filthy rags, as I said. But, thank God, Jesus Christ our Lord has made purification for sins by dying on the cross. Verse 3, But God never leaves Christ on the cross. Never. Now, as I said yesterday in the service, and I say to people all the time, there's one thing you're going to have to declare one of these days, what is going to make you eligible to go into heaven? The only thing that will do that is verse 3. And that is that the blood of Jesus Christ is applied to your sins. And that's the only thing that will get you into heaven. Not rituals. I guess I have studied just about every religion you can name. The, one of the most impressive uh, religions to me is a Mormon temple and a Mormon worship out in Salt Lake City. They won't let you into that temple there except if you're the hierarchy of the Mormon church. And all the pomp and things. Then you go to the Catholic church and they got all the pomp and the way they do things. The Methodists have certain things that they do and 
and you can go to all the denominations. And I was thinking about this this morning, and I was thinking about this uh, passage of Scripture. Isn't it something how that we try to enter in to salvation things that we can see, things we can touch, that we can feel? And Jesus is making it very plain that's not true. That temple back there was a type of Christ, not Christ Himself. That temple back there was a type of worship, not salvation itself. Salvation is in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not in a building, not in a man, but in the person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Only because He's God in His flesh. In some churches... Christ is pictured as a baby in his mother's arms or as a helpless sufferer on a cross of crucifixion. But both are inadequate and misleading. God reminds us that Jesus has, listen now, Jesus has sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high in verse 3. Jesus is now on his throne. He's not a baby. He's not in a manger. He's not in that scene anymore. Now he's seated in authority at the throne. Therefore, God has given expression to the sonship of Christ as the one who reveals God to us, as the one who has created the entire fabric of the material universe and as its rightful heir, and as the one who not only died for us, but who is now enthroned in heaven. Now, from here we go into the examples of the Sonship of Christ as sacrifice, beginning in verse 4. Now he explained all that up to verse 3. Now he's going to give us examples of that. You know what I like about the Bible? The Word of God, one of the things I like about it. I, I'm amazed at people that come up to me all the time, and they do it all the time. I can't understand the King James Bible. You know, it's always the King James Bible. I can't understand the King James Bible. Uh, only a preacher can, or a priest can understand. It. No, if you if you have studied in this respect, anybody can understand. It. If God gives you a truth from God, He'll always give you an example of it. He'll explain it to you. What good? Uh, you know what I loved about Mrs. Yaker, my English teacher, that I could learn from her. I was pretty. Stupid, if you want to put it that way, in in school, right? I I I I lived it this way. If I can make a C, I'm out of here. Amen. I passed. That's all I was interested in. I wasn't interested in making no A's and B's and so on. And them guys that made them crazy. But uh, I was interested in one thing: learning the least I can and get out of here. And that's about the way that most people approach the Bible. They approach the Bible with, I want to learn this least I can and get out of here. But when you when you start studying the Bible, if you're studying in this respect, if God gives you uh, a spiritual truth, then He'll give you an example of it. So you have to look for that example that goes with it and study in the Bible. And God gives you an example. Now, He said in the beginning... He, he, he goes back and he said, the temple worship, God set it up. No doubt about it. 
God set that temple worship up. All the priests and everything in bad prophets was ordained by God. The sacrifices were ordained by God. Nobody can uh, uh, explain that way anymore. Not to try to explain it away. That happened. Amen. But God is now fulfilling that. He's not doing away with it as wiping it clean and say that was wrong. And that's what Paul is trying to explain to him. He's not saying all of that was wrong. He's saying now this is a picture of this reality. And when Jesus comes on the scene, now you look away from that to the reality of it. And Jesus is that reality. He's everything that those types and figures and priests and and the pomp and the glory and the Ten Commandments and all those things that talks about purity, Jesus is. Amen. And that's what we're to look forward to. Now we come to the example. Notice verse 4. Being made. Isn't that something? You ever, you ever notice that word made? Being made so much better than the angel. Jesus was made a body. God made a body for the Lord Jesus Christ. And angel, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For under which of the angels says he at any time, Thou art my son. None. Not a one of them. No angel is ever called the son of God. Thou art my son. This day have I have begotten thee. No. Jesus is the only begotten son. Angels were made. And by the way, their number is set. He ain't making no new angels. Their number is set. He made the angels in the beginning. But he, but notice the Bible says, Thou art my son, this day have I have begotten thee. Again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Jesus is, I mean, God the Father is not the father of angels. He's the creator of angels. But the difference is, with Jesus, he's his father. And so, and notice again now, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he said, and let all the angels of God worship him. Now that takes us back to the manger scene. The angels came there and said, oh, we're greater than he worship us. No, they didn't. They bowed down to that little baby in a manger. Because all angels worship the Son, every one of them, except the fallen angels and Satan himself, but they follow they worship the Son. And then verse seven, and of the angels he said, Who maketh his angels spirits? So God made every one of them, and his minister to flame of fire. But under the Son he says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of thy kingdom. Notice now, verse 8 makes it very plain that Jesus was in the beginning. And he will be in the end. Somebody says, Jesus began it, the baby in the manger. No, he didn't. Verse 8 says, But in the Son he said, Thy throne of God is forever and ever. That is, from the beginning to the end. And so Jesus was in the beginning because he was God, and now he's God in the flesh. But in the Son, thy said, thy throne of God. Verse 9, thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, 
has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Now I want to show you something here. There is no doubt in anybody's mind that the Ten Commandments weren't ordained of God. Right? Why was they ordained to God? Why did God give the Ten Commandments? He knew that man couldn't do it in the beginning. No doubt about it if you read the Bible. Why did he give them then? Because God is a God of righteousness. And I mean complete righteousness. And he wants a people of righteousness. In other words, nobody's going to heaven with sin in them. What does that simply mean? Heaven is a place of complete righteousness. Okay? Then what's going to help us to become righteous enough to go to heaven? The Ten Commandments tell us God's demands. It's our schoolmaster. It tells us what God demands in righteousness. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt. And then it says thou shalt, thou shalt, and so on. And it tells you exactly what God demands of you and what God demands of you not to do. Alright? To be like God wants you to be. Then he becomes over to the book of Romans and he said, but all are sinners. What are we going to do now? We have no hope. If that's, if that's all the end of it then, if we're all sinners, none righteous, no, not one, in the book, second chapter of Romans, it tells us how wicked man really is. In his tongues is a poison of asp, and he goes on and on talking about the wickedness of man. Well, we have no hope. What are we going to do now? God demands this. We're here. We can't come up to this. So what's going to happen? I know what will happen. Angels will come along and save us. No, angels ain't qualified. They're made by God. They're creatures to serve. But there's only one that's qualified to take the sins of man away from him. That's God. How's he going to do it? God's going to come down out of his throne and come among men and, and be... Uh, in His Majesty, if He did, He'd consume us. Because if you'll go back and read the Bible, anybody that touched the mountain where the glory of God was died. They died. You can't go in the presence of Holy God. You can't go in the presence of the majesty of the Holy of God. So, we're outside then. We have no hope. But in, G- in God's mercy... He condescended so that we can approach Him. And God is the only one that's qualified to do that. So He came down in the Son to take our sin. Now, notice what the Bible said. God has given expression to the Sonship of Christ as the one who reveals God to us. As the one who created the entire fabric of the universe. And the examples is given to us beginning right on down in verse, uh, in chapter 1. If you study this, you'll never, you, you, you can get the full understanding of what the Bible is written for. It's written to reveal God to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thought when you begin to understand what God has done for us. Now, I know that I'm talking to mature Christians, okay? But think about this for just a minute. 
Suppose we had a room full of people that hadn't been to church. We had a room full of people that never heard the Bible study and never sat under the teachings of the Word of God. What are you going to tell them? That's what the book of Hebrews is written for. That's the reason I tell people, uh, start off reading as a young Christian the book of Romans and then come to the Hebrews and explains it to you. Explains the book of Romans to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful today to be saved. So thankful to understand and how your grace has revealed to us these truths through that precious word. We're not one that has a cap of the hold on the Word of God. But ever since you died and rose again as our Savior, you've unlocked all these truths to us. And all we have to do is study them and look them up and find what your heart is to us. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.